Hey, thanks for joining us at Liberty Station. I'm Rob McCoy, and with me is Bryce Eddy, uh, co-pilot. I don't know. We're yeah. both flying the plane together. Uh, I hope you like the new studio. Um, I, I'm really digging the sign in the middle. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful. We had a, a friend at the church do that for us. and uh, So Liberty Station, and the idea is uh, Liberty is doing what's right. Freedom is having choices. And you don't board the Freedom Train uh, until you've got Liberty Station. So I'm blessed by that. And uh, we have a really wonderful guest. He has been an absolute friend of the ministry. Uh, I love this young man. I call him young because I'm 57, and he's way younger than I am. And, uh, and, and, the, and the coolest thing about it is his story. He may cover that about his family and where, how he got to where he is today. And he's just being used remarkably across this country for liberty and freedom. He's fearless. Uh, you see him on campuses taking on the toughest of the tough, and he does it with such gentleness and persistence. His smile is disarming. His character is wonderful. And uh, he just got back from Europe, so I want to ask him questions about that. Yeah, he's on, he's on quite the world tour coming up, too. And, Why don't uh, you tell of, everybody who he is? Yeah, so, uh, so uh, well, with that, we get to introduce Will Witt. That's right. Um, and, you know, Will has become a friend of mine, and I really enjoy him. Um, I started becoming a fan um, ha- uh, by my daughters actually watching a lot of what he was doing, and he has such a wonderful way about him with people who you know, disagree, and uh, I think he does better than anybody else this really just wonderfully disarming way of asking questions and letting them, you know, kind of make fools of themselves, and and he laughs it off and, you know, has a good time with them, and I think he's affected more than one person with that kind of generous spirit. He also also shared, he preached at the church on a Sunday, and I have to say, um, he, he did a remarkable job. He's got just a wonderful way about him, and uh, the the process of his ideas is so clear. Uh, I just he's a good thinker, um, and and he he wrote the book that we've been promoting. Uh, we sold a ton of them at church. Yeah. Um, how, how to win friends and influence enemies. <laughs> yeah, which I, which I I think I, I wrote him uh, on on Instagram. Great title because yeah. of course I was a fan of Dale Carnegie's How to Win <clears throat> Friends and Influence People, and not everybody you know these days probably understands that that reference, but it's a it's a play on that, and I think it was just a, a clever title too. That's a good word. Well, let's let's welcome Will Witt. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm good. I mean, after you guys just talking about me like that, how could I not be good, right? <laughs> well, uh, listen, uh, we were talking before we uh, we went on the air. You were telling me that you you just got back from Europe, and uh, you come back to California, and, and Europe seems to be lifting sanctions uh, in many of the, the countries, um, and you come back to California. We're not quite there yet. I mean, we're coming up to an election cycle, and I'm expecting this week or next that the governor is going to do like he did in the last election, lift the sanctions and then, uh, you know, try to convince everybody that they haven't abused us for two and a half years. Yeah, they'll lift their, their boot off of our neck for a minute. Yeah. Everybody starts to breathe again. Oh, hey, this is great. You know, our short memory, uh, of course. And then, you know, back, back yeah. when they win, they hammer down. But what's, what's going on in Europe? Is it, is it better than it is in California? What did you experience? I mean, you, you did quite a tour. Tell us where you went and what you're doing. Yeah, so I went all around the continent. I've never left America before. And I can tell that was your you this, first trip overseas, I, really? 
was my first trip overseas, and I choose to go Shut during the, this pandemic with some of the worst travel restrictions, everything. <clears throat> so the way I was able to get over there, first of all, because I'm, a, I'm unvaccinated, I was able to get a work permit from the Dutch government for me to be essentially what you would call a highly skilled migrant, whatever that means, and, and I was able to go over to, to fly into the Netherlands to be able to work. And so I did a speech in Hungary to the Danube Institute, which works with Viktor Orban and everything they have going on over there. I spoke in Romania at a church to about 600 people, and then my girlfriend and I, we took some time and spent a couple days in Monaco in the south of France, and then about four or five days back in Amsterdam, where she is from. So I truly had a remarkable time going over there. But one, there's a lot of things that I learned over this trip. I mean, now I feel like I'm a cultured person. I can I can now add international <laughs> speaker to my bio, you know. I've tried French cheese. I know a lot about the world now, you know what I'm saying? But, like, when we were in Monaco, something that was shocking to me is that you hear about here in America, we have mask mandates, we have vaccine requirements, things like that. But if you look at the actual U.S. code, I mean, these are only for emergency use authorization. And if you want to refuse to wear a mask, you have the right to refuse, right? They don't have to serve you necessarily where you go in, but you have the right to refuse. In Europe, in Monaco, it was required by law. This was a law that you had to wear a mask while you were walking around outside with no one really around. But there were cops who were stationed all across uh, the Palace of the Prince where we were walking around who were telling people when they are outside to wear their mask. It is a law that could get you fined up to 130 euros. And so just there, there's something that you appreciate about America that you don't appreciate until you really go overseas and see these different places. Nowhere in the world is there a constitution or a declaration of independence like, like there is in America that you have inalienable rights given to you by your creator. These other countries all around the world, you have rights that are given to you by the government and they can take them yeah. away by whim anytime they want. But in America, these rights are given to us by God. The founding fathers knew that. And so because of that, you just have radically different ways that, first of all, the people view their government and how they view uh, totalitarianism and control, and secondly, how the government views its people and how they are able to take advantage of them. Now, was it, was it the same in Hungary? I would think it'd be different. You know, it's a little bit different in Hungary. There was two things about Eastern Europe. The older generation is very sad. You know, it's tough to say, but that's just, that's really how it is. They dealt with communism for decades. A horrible, horrible experience. Uh, the younger generation was getting, it seemed to be more westernized and more, they were more jovial, I would, I would say. But the people in Hungary, they know what these types of ideas can lead to. They know what this progressivism, this communism, what it can lead to. But what was crazy is that if any of you guys follow me on Instagram, you might have seen this, but there was a Che Guevara cafe in downtown Cluj in Romania, in the town that I spoke at in Romania. A Che Guevara cafe just 30 years ago on, I think it was December 25th, I think it was Christmas, in 1989, a thousand people died in Cluj fighting against communism before it, it totally ended in, in Romania, right? And, and they yeah. had thousands of people who are dying because of communism, and now they have a Che Guevara cafe. So it goes to show you how the left doesn't stop and how these ideas will continue to permeate the next generation, even if, you know, for decades before they had communism. If you know anything about the history of Romania, you'll know that even before World War One, they were slaves. I mean, they were, they were slaves to the Ottoman Empire. Romania's had it very bad. Then they had the Nazis, then they had communism, and now they have Che Guevara cafes. So yeah. it goes to show you that even after all this, you, it... <clears throat> People don't always learn. Yeah, yeah the attention span. I, I have a I have a question along those lines, and it's something that I want to kind of continuously have a theme that we explore yep, you know, on our show, and, and that is why is that? You know, what what in our spirit, um, you know, drives us towards those things, and why is our memory so short consistently? 
Well, mm-hmm. I, I have a theory, but I want to hear what your thought is on it, Will. I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, actually, because I think I saw that Che Guevara cafe and I'm like, well, if I've been fighting for all this stuff and doing so much and then a generation after it just gets all ruined again, what am I even fighting for? You know, that's something that has, has crossed my mind. I'm sure that for many people who are in a position like me or you, Rob, Bryce, and you guys, you kind of understand what I'm, what I'm talking about a little bit. But when it comes down to it, I think about fighting for a fantasy and then fighting for truth. And it's so much easier for people to fight for a fantasy because if you can just make things up and have things be easy to talk about and and not have to really delve deeply into history or the context or what people actually did, it's very easy to just live in a fantasy. But one day, reality will catch up with you, and you can't live in this fantasy anymore. And so having to live with truth, talk about truth, live a life full of truth, and that goes again into Christianity and living a life with Jesus Christ. I mean, that is much harder to do than to live a life by lies. And I think that most people are going to be fine living a life by lies. So if someone at the top comes and says, hey, Che Guevara is great, communism is great, all this LGBT stuff, CRT, whatever it might be, this is all great, it's going to be much easier for someone to just live by those lies, to live by a fantasy. Right. Instead of having to actually dig deeper and go into the truth. So I think that it's just I don't want to necessarily use the word mediocrity, not that all of these people are mediocre, but just that there is a mentality of people who don't feel like they need to work hard or live by truth. And it's just an easy lifestyle for them. You know, it's 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 the Titler cycle, uh, the Scottish historian that you, know, you go from from uh, being enslaved to crying out to God and then you get freedom, and then with freedom comes abundance, and with abundance comes apathy, and with apathy comes dependence, and dependence into bondage. And, and unless you infuse it with what we call the triangle of freedom, faith, virtue, freedom, um, and, and reset that cycle, the, the abundance that you will experience as a nation, if you don't infuse this moral triangle of faith, virtue, and freedom, your children uh, are born into a season of abundance, and they forget the things that brought that abundance. Freedom is having choices. Liberty is doing what's right. You contend for liberty. Paul, Paul wrote in Galatians, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. He wrote that in prison. W- once you stand for truth, then you get the choices. You get freedom. But freedom without restraint so the laws, the wise restraints that make men free. You apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence. But if you aren't vigilant in liberty, instructing each generation and each child, liberty is very fragile. And so what happens is the government then takes the freedom and, and, and entices your children and then uses that to enslave them. And, and, the, and then the law is weaponized and turned against to enslave, not set free. So you have to have the moral law before you can have civil law. And, and you know, you say you get discouraged, Will, because, you know, here they, they go through the Ottoman Empire, they go through communism or Nazism, communism, uh, they're obliterated and abused, and now they get a taste of freedom, and they're running back to the same ideology that enslaved them. It's like cleaning a house. It's the second law of thermodynamics that everything reduces to its least common denominator. And, and Christ has come into a fallen world, and he brings life and abundance and hope. Uh, only a carpenter can build, but a, don- a donkey, only a donkey can knock down a barn door. Only a carpenter can build one. And, and so 
the left only knows how to tear apart, but but it's the Lord who builds, and and it has to build in the human soul. It has to give this idea of freedom, and 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 that's that's the tension in a fallen world, the difference between n- nature and nurture, and we believe in man has fallen. And, and I, I want to segue with that, because that, I go on forever, on, but I want to segue to you. I don't want to be the guest on my own show. Will, this hasn't always been true for you. You Christianity wasn't your go-to. It's, it's a recent that you have professed a faith in Christ. And yet conservative principles came to you long before Christ became your Savior. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's definitely true. And I just want to share say with everybody one- that. I would love to. And one thing just about what you said before I just had to bring up, when I was in Hungary, I went to the House of Terrors, which if you're familiar with that is essentially a museum about communism and and Nazism and all the atrocities that that took place in Hungary. And one thing you realize about Europe in general is that Europe lost God. Western Europe especially lost God. And because of their loss of God, they had the Nazis. They had communism. I'm worried about in America that when we have a, lo- a lack of God and people turn away from faith, as we're seeing people do, what could happen in America? It's it's right. very frightening to me to, to see that because it can happen. There's no doubt about horrible things can happen. But my, my story is that, yeah, I became a conservative first and was getting into politics. And I kind of put the the, the put religion on the, the wayside. You know, I didn't really want to pay attention to it. I felt like I can just do this politics stuff and I don't really need to get into it. But eventually during the pandemic, I decided to, I was like, okay, I'm not going to screw around anymore. I'm at home all the time. And, you know, like everyone, we're all kind of more lonely. We're a little bit depressed about what's going on. And so I said, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. And so I read the four gospels. And what I got was that, what I got from it was that, okay, I now have to make a choice. I have to make a choice on whether or not I take this or I ignore it. And so what I did, I read it, and I said, if Jesus really died for my sins, like it says here, then I have no other choice but to give my life to him or to ignore it. And this goes back to exactly what I was talking about before when it came to, you know, living a life by truth or living a life by lies. Once the information has been presented to you, you have to make a choice. This isn't, this is with everything that comes to you. I mean, every single decision, every single choice in your life, every day you're dealing with this, I mean, hundreds of times of people presenting you information and you have to make a choice every single time. And so when it came to Christianity, I made the choice to know what was true, to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ and give my life to him. And that was just over over a year ago now, actually, so cool. about a year Amen. and two weeks. Now, a year and two weeks, had you ever had any uh, church experience? Was your family Christian in any capacity? Uh, any exposure? I mean, even even what caused you to have a Bible in, in your place? What caused you to want to read? What, you know, I didn't give it to you. I'd, how'd you get <laughs> no, it? I mean, I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so when I was growing up, I had gone... Actually, as a baby, I was baptized Catholic, um, but I was baptized with my father. And as you know, Rob, and the people who I've spoken to your church, my father and my relationship is quite terrible. He was in prison for years, and it just wasn't a good time. And so because of that, I felt like it would be okay if I got rebaptized, really, because it didn't really mean anything to me as a, no. a Catholic baby. I didn't know what happened. You know, I was obviously a baby. I have no idea. And so... Uh, I went to church a little bit with my grandparents, but I didn't learn anything. And it was more, you know, a lot of churches in America today, as I'm sure you're aware, want to make religion feel good instead of making good people. Religion yeah. should be working to make good people. It shouldn't be working to make people feel good. That's not what it's about. And so I think that's, that's kind word. of what my experience was at uh, uh, when I was growing up going to church. 
And so I didn't really have much of God at all. And my brother, who was like my father figure to me, was very anti-church, anti-God, everything like that. So I really had no influence with it. But I had the Bible in my house because I actually had, uh, I, I was on Amazon one day and I decided to order the Bible and the Quran. I ordered them both because I know that there is, regardless of anything, I know that there's a lot of references and historical things in there, things that I just wanted to, as someone who was deeply invested in learning a lot, wanted to learn. So I ordered them both. I you know, it's kind of a weird thing to order them both, I guess, at the same not time. Really. No, but, not really. No, Okay, fine. All right, fine. So, so, so then I had the Bible at my house, and I really hadn't touched it. It was kind of just sitting there, and something just called me to do it. Something just uh, called me to do it. I was just there at home, and I really was just, I guess you could say, uninspired by many of the things I saw happening. I saw people being at home and depressed and you know the, the economy was crashing and, and things were just not going my way, things were not going the world's way. And I said, there's gotta be more than this. What is what is kind of the point of everything that we have going on here? Is it just for me to, to sit here and make a political video about what's going on? It felt like I was missing something. Like how can things get so bad and it's just politics? It didn't make much sense to me. And so I think that's really why I decided to pick it up and, and read it. And now that I've you know become uh, a follower, I've realized that now the faith drives the politics. It's not the other way around. And it's made my political ideas, the things that I talk about, a lot different than they used to be. If you were to look at a lot of the stuff that I talked about four years ago when I first started at PragerU and things and compared to them to what I talk about now, I mean, I'm a radically different person in a lot of ways when it comes to my thoughts. And that is because of the faith. That is because yeah. it's not about the politics. It's about truth. And where does truth come from? It comes from God. It comes from Scripture. Yeah. That's Jesus, wonderful. Jesus is the truth. Yeah, amen. Yes, yes. Will, will a, a testimony... Uh, has been described as uh, what I was like before I met the Lord, how I met the Lord, and how my life has changed since having met the Lord. Uh, we learned about what you were like before you knew the Lord. You had a struggle with your dad. Your, your brother wasn't a big influence church-wise. Your grandparents took you to church periodically. You had struggles. You actually went through kind of a, a liberal period, maybe an atheist period when you were at Colorado, Colorado right? And so, Colorado, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so... Then, then it's almost like a Pauline experience. I mean, nobody preached to you. You weren't in a church. You just read the Bible, and the, it's the only book in the world. We don't read it. It reads us, and faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. You, you begin to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and it clicks. And you, you come to that place to make decision, and you make a decision to receive Christ as your Savior. What's happened since then? What, what's, what's it done for your life? Um, you, you got... You got this new gal. She's she's uh, from Amsterdam. You're saying mm -hmm. I, I don't know her yeah, name. She's Dutch. Ava. Uh, obvious. Obviously. I'm sorry. Say it again. Ava. Her, Ava. Yeah. Ava. I'm sure you couldn't pronounce her last name. Vlardingerbrook. Oh. It's Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> say, say it again. I'm gonna try. Vlardingerbrook. 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 Ava. Yeah. Good gal. That's great. Good old Ava. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm gonna send her this. She'll love your pronunciation. Awesome. And, and how, how did you tell us how you met? Uh, why is she special to you? She's obviously a conservative in, you know, Amsterdam, which is kind of like California, California condor, an endangered species. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it, 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 is she walking with the Lord? Is this something that uh, tell me all this stuff? Folks want to know. Yeah, I will divulge. I will divulge this to you. <laughs> Truly, it, it was the it kind of. I was actually on the phone with her this morning, and I actually told her that I thought that her and I meeting was 
ordained by God because of what has happened, transpired between me and her. We've gone through hardships already with being, you know, the vaccine requirements for her coming here and all sorts of stuff, travel things. It's been, there are difficulties with what we're doing. You know, me getting over to even go to Europe was a pain in the butt by no means necessary. Anything was, has been easy so far. And that kind of goes into what you were saying before about, you know, what has happened since then. Life has not gotten easier since no. I have since I've become a Christian, since I've been baptized. In fact, it's actually gotten harder. I think that it's gotten harder in many ways because now I'm not just accountable to myself. I am accountable to God, right? The things, the actions that I take, the things that I do are incredibly important. And there are now, essentially, we could say, you know, for maybe lack of a better word, there are rules that, you know, I am supposed to follow and things that I am supposed to do. You're supposed to live a life of truth, and so that's yeah. something that before I didn't necessarily have to do. I could focus on politics, but I could still do whatever I wanted, right? It wasn't, there wasn't any great consequence that I could find in my mind, but now it's about truth. And so by having that, it puts me on a path that says, well, you can't, you can't do these things that you used to do. You can't lie. You can't, you can't go out and do these, these do anything debaucherous like you used to, you know, you, you have to live a different type of life. And that's been very hard for me. And it's made me sacrifice a lot of friends and a lot of people who I used to know, a lot of the circles that I used to run in. And I've talked to you personally about this, Rob, you know, when it comes to, you know, feeling more alone and more isolated when when it comes to, to being someone who's taken this path and is walking this way and being a leader, it's it's definitely difficult. But again, going back to Ava, I mean, she has been the most incredible woman in the world. And, and, and she is, it's hard to even say, she's beautiful. She's more than smart. She just understands the world better than anyone I've ever met. And she understands me and everything that I'm going through. And so what I think about her is that in a lot of ways, she's like a female version of me. We, we get along very well in that sense. We'll finish each other's sentences. And she is walking with Christ as well. And she's yeah. been someone who has, has, for me, been that rock in my life who I've been able to say, this is my person. This is the person who I want to take this walk with, who understands the sacrifices that I have to make. I understand the sacrifices that she has to make. And, sure. we, say, and we say, we're going to do it together. Her and I are going to stand up for truth together, regardless of the other people. So she's been a, just a, the biggest blessing in my life. How did you meet her? I met her. So she had met Dennis at a, a conference in Europe last fall, I think around August or September time. Uh, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me I know. a match. Listen, he's Go going to take all the credit. Dennis is going to say it's all him, but, you know. We, when you meet him, when you see Dennis again, tell him it was all him, but we'll talk, you know, privately. I, I got you. I got you. Yeah. But I was just on Instagram one day and Ava, she messaged me on Instagram and we had talked a little bit before, but nothing at all. And she said, hey, I did this speech. Would you watch it for me? And let me know what you think. And I said, okay, I'll watch it. And, you know, she was beautiful. So I was like, okay. And she sent me the speech. I watched it. It was fantastic. And I said, hey, I will, I'll tell you about this speech, but I want to, I want to call you on the phone. And she said, okay, but you have to get my number from Dennis. You know, she's already playing. She's already play uh, making it hard for me. I love it. So I, so I call Dennis immediately after. I get her number from Dennis, and I call her, and I say, hey, you know, don't ever doubt me. And since then, she has never doubted me, and it's been beautiful. Right on. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, I have a huge smile on my face because I am incredibly happy for you. And, yeah, uh, thank you. you. Know, you've been blessed. And, and listen, there are headwinds when you choose to follow Christ. And uh, one of the most alarming things, going back to our earlier conversation, in regards to it, it takes work to fight for liberty, yes. yeah. for freedom, to, you know, go that way. 
And one of the most disturbing things that's happening now is we have, through the pandemic and these lockdowns, we've conditioned people out of working. And I yeah. mean just working, period, which, which doesn't bode well for the future of everything that we're doing. And there's all these movements, the, this anti-work movement I'm sure you're familiar with, Will, that's, um, that's buzzing around. Um, and, and that is uh, terrifying to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I think according to MIT research, the, the average income for a Californian to, or like uh, cost of living is $18.44 an hour. It's something very close to that the last time I checked a couple of months ago. And the government is paying people 1.5 times that on average to stay at home, right? So now a business owner has to do even more than 1.5 times. I mean, you have to now pay people for a restaurant job or a retail job or something like this. You have to pay them almost $30 an hour to get them to come back to work because why would they come back to work for what? A couple pennies more or the same amount that they would be getting paid while they're off work? Of course not. So now it's just ruining everything. I think the the cost of, of running a small business in California over the pandemic has gone up 15 to 20%. Small businesses are already running on 1% profit margins and now you have this new cost that they've incurred? I mean, it's it's ludicrous. And it, it's, it's not a, a problem of, of, you know, people are getting sick and they need to stay home. It's a problem of, of laziness, and it's a problem of the government enabling people to, to live this way. That's exactly right. Just got back from Chicago with Charlie Kurt and oh, uh, anti-mask rally with high school students. I mean, they're contending with, I mean, that state is a train wreck. Chicago's a mess. And yep. trying to do business in that city or that state is horrific with the property taxes that they're up against and it's just terrible. Um, and then a guy, Gary Rabine's running for governor. There's a lot of folks running, but there's a movement afoot. Um, and, you know, I'm, we're, we're watching as the citizenry is rising up. And I want you to comment on this. One last thing before I ask you to comment on this. In the midst of the headwinds and the struggles being a Christian, I can say this with confidence. I don't want to put the words in your mouth. If it doesn't apply to you, say no. But uh, you know the why and what you're doing, and regardless of the trials and the difficulties, you, I, I would venture to guess you have a greater peace than you've ever had, even in the midst of the conflict. 100%. You are all exactly right. right. Despite it all, all these things getting in some ways worse around us that we see, I, I feel the happiest and the most fulfilled that I have ever yeah. been. You know, ha happiness, as Dennis Prager says, is a, a choice. It's something that it you is. have to do. And, and because of that, it's a, a choice that I have made for myself because I haven't always been that way. But because yeah. now, even though I've lost a lot and things are a lot different for me now than they've ever been, I truly do feel the most fulfilled. You're exactly right. Good word. All right. I want you to comment uh, when we're talking about the citizenry rising. Comment on um, <laughs> we, we, we had the, the recall effort in San Francisco Unified School District. Three. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Three school board members 70, were ousted 73. by 75 75%. I thought yeah. 73, 75%. Well, it might be 73, but yeah. yeah, a huge margin. What do you think right. about that, Will? I well, mean, I something's happening. Oh, of course. I mean, there's a huge awakening. This is San Francisco. This is one of the, the worst places in America to be a conservative, and you got a 73% vote of getting these people out of there. I mean, it shows that things are changing. And I think that really the fight right now, if you are a Republican, running for Congress, running for any sort of seat, or even someone who just loves freedom as a conservative, you have to focus on the children. Because the left, with their masking, with the at-home schools, with the CRT and gender stuff they're teaching in schools. Mandated uh, vaccines. Schools, 
mandated vaccines for all these children, everything when it comes to that, people don't want you to touch their kids. Okay, That's it's right. as simple as that. If you are a Republican and you are running for office and you are not against what is happening with children right now, you should be primaried immediately. This is the wake yep. up that's happening. It is a parents' revolution. I just spoke in Washington D.C. about three, four weeks ago for the Defeat the Mandates rally. We had about fifty thousand people come out and and see us there. We had some amazing, great speakers: Dr. Peter or Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, some others. Great guys. It was fantastic, great guys. And you know, I started talking to some of these people who were there in attendance. These people, out of these 50,000 people, these people weren't, you know, right-wing Trump conservatives. They weren't Tea Partiers. That's not what these type of people were. They were parents. They were normal Americans who just wanted to get their lives back, who just wanted to go back to normal. They want to go to school and not have their teacher talk about how their kid is trans. They want to be able to, to go to a store without a mask on. All of these different things. They just want their lives back. People want to return to normalcy. It's so obvious. So there is a revolution happening. I think that in 2022, these elections are going to be huge. I think it's going to be a, a complete red wave. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, I just hope that the candidates who are red are actually real conservatives, not yeah. these rhinos we've seen. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're seeing it on a on kind of a micro scale here in our county. You know, we've launched our, our uh, free Ventura efforts uh, here locally, and that's what we're seeing. People just don't want the insane running things anymore, and that's kind of what it's become. And we're talking about average folks, again, many of which were traditional Democrats, too, that are looking at this and saying, okay, I, I just don't want to be part of this communist left craziness that's going on here. Yeah, the inmates are running the asylum. Yeah, that's really what it's come down <laughs> yeah. to. And, you know, we're having yeah. these packed events where everybody is just so blown away at how many people are, are raising their hand and saying, how can I get involved? Yeah, this is, it, it, it seems as though uh, if, if, if the secular progressive left doesn't realize how far out over their skis they are, and what they've done, if they don't dial back and start realizing this is going to be the decimation of a major party in America, uh, and there'll be a unification of the citizenry, what that looks like, because we're just as tired of the Republican Party in California as we are the Democratic 100%. Party in many respects. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a platform we have access to, so we still participate, but independents you know, outnumber Republicans in California. And, and the Republican, the, the, the way that you get delegates in the party is unlike any of the other 49 states. It is, it is so dysfunctional and chaotic, the party itself in California. So everyone is looking for a reformatting in some capacity, but the secular progressive left is causing this unification of people to want to pursue liberty. And there needs to be uh, voices out there defining it. And that's you, Will. You, you are that for Thank your you. generation. Uh, you, you're tireless. I mean, you're on campuses. You, you go into the thick of where the fight is. And you, you, you do it in a gentle manner, but you're persistent and you're funny. You're respectful. Now, granted, they make fun of themselves by simply contradicting themselves when they're speaking. And you kind of smile like, I didn't do that to you. You did. Uh, but I, I just I don't I don't see you being caustic and, and uh, abrasive and mean. You just simply walk up to folks. How did you put this format together when you interview folks where, like I said, disarming, honest, uh, but yet persistent to get them to reveal themselves for who they are and the stupidity upon which they stand? How do you how do you formulate that? People ask me that sometimes, and I don't always, I, I don't know the best answer for that. I really don't. But I know that when I think about myself and how if I was being talked to by someone, how I would want to be treated. 
especially if I disagreed with them. Right. I have this thing that has kind of been the, the my 2022 talking points right now that I've really been thinking about a lot. And that's, you know, when it comes to the person, you treat them with compassion. When I'm talking to someone on a campus, I'm going to be as compassionate as I can to this person if they don't know what's going on or they're brainwashed or someone tricked them into believing something. It's, it's this person's fault in a way, but it's also not this person's fault. You know, they've been yeah. they've never even heard of PragerU. Right? They don't know who I am. They don't know who you are. They don't know who Charlie Kirk is or Dennis Prager. They don't know who these people are. They never heard these ideas before. It's sometimes hard to blame them for not knowing it. Right. So I'm going to be right. compassionate to these people. You have to be. You have to have an open heart. But when it comes to the ideas, when it comes to the ideas of communism, this progressivism, this new trans movement, this this CRT stuff. I am no longer for finding common ground on many of these topics. You don't no, find common yeah. ground with a communist. Okay, you destroy the ideas of communism so that they can never even sprout in this country. And so That's I think weed. that, yeah, yeah, I think right now in, in America and conservatism right now, we're getting a lot of calls for people who are saying, you know, we got to find common ground with some of these people on the left. We got to We got to do this. But common ground with a communist and a capitalist is, oh, maybe you can have half the deaths of communism instead of the totality of deaths. Right. And so I, I don't believe in that type of thing. So I think that when we're talking about ideas, it's about destroying ideas that are evil and pervasive. And when it comes to individual people, we have to be as compassionate and heartfelt as possible to try and change their minds so that they realize things that we actually know. Well, I think that that advice applies to everything. I think that's just a wonderful thing as to how we should be called to treat people just in general. Yeah. People aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. Yeah. When, right. when you when you speak of destroying you're speaking of the idea, not the individual, meaning destroy it through debate. Show the stupidity of it because mm -hmm. the, the only reason why we're facing censorship is because a, a lie can't survive in the presence of truth. They don't want a debate. They, they, they don't want conflicting ideas because their ideas won't stand up to scrutiny. Right. And and you're you're not invited on these campuses with with those with conservative ideas, but you go on campus and you confront them, and it immediately exposes them to the stupidity of their ideas. And often you just see them catch it. Tell us some of the stories where they just folks you were sharing with, it hit them and and something changed with them. I mean, you had a few of those. Yeah, I'll tell you one story quickly before I tell you a person who changed their mind. I'll tell you because I was just at UCLA on Tuesday. And I was talking to people about voter ID, and I had one guy come up to me who knew who I was, who knew what PragerU was, and we're talking about voter ID and all of this stuff. And he says, you know, according to the ACLU, voter ID is this, this, this. And I said, you take stats from the ACLU? They said men can menstruate, right? And then we got into this whole thing about trans ideology, and I asked him the question, and I said, hey, do you think if you had a little daughter and she went into a locker room with a naked man with a penis, is that okay? And he said, that's totally fine. And there comes a point where people just have different values. I had to basically end the conversation because there comes a point where people just have different values. I would never allow that. That, that, that would be terrible to have my daughter around a naked man with a penis like that in a locker room and to think that that is truth or science or anything like that. Yeah. And so there comes a point where people just have different value systems. Not everyone, I'm bringing this up to say, not everyone can have their minds changed. There's a major, there's a, a decent amount of people who just can't be changed when it comes to these political ideas. It's just the truth. There's nothing you can do. But I have had many, many success stories of people who I've been able to change their minds on, whether it comes to capitalism or socialism. I mean, I did a video at Cal State LA where every single person 
I interviewed, I asked them, I asked them a question. I said, are you now an anti-socialist after I had the conversation? Every single one said yes. And so it's just things like that where you know that you can just ask people basic questions. That's what my book is about. That's so that everyone can ask those questions. They're proven questions, tactics, persuasion, everything that is in the book that people can do. Uh, I had a guy who came up to me at Cal State Fullerton who said, hey, do you remember me? I said, no, I, I, I don't. Sorry, I don't know who you are. He said, three years ago, you interviewed me for a video, and I didn't know the answer to what you were talking about. And I went and looked up all these things and looked up what PragerU was, and now I'm the one educating my friends on Come conservative on. ideas. <laughs> and I turned all my friends to conservatives, right? So it's like... People sometimes they look at my videos and they say, "Oh, you're just making these people look stupid and you know trying to get red meat content." But that is, I understand some people might do that. But my the purpose of my videos has always been to change minds. That is what yeah. I've always tried to do. That's why I have that approach with people to change minds. And so I think that if we always keep that in mind when we are going and talking to people, and that it's not about yourself, it's not about proving a point to be this right person over them. It's about trying to help them, trying to change their mind, or at least let them see a different point of view. We can do so much good, but people just have to, just have to have that mentality. Amen. There, there was a young lady that spoke at one of the uh, Prager U. Um, I think it was the uh, gala or or the um, summit event, and I had gotten to speak right before her. Um, I got to introduce uh, Dennis and Eric Metaxas, and mm-hmm. I was in tears, like serious tears, listening to her recount how she hated her parents. Uh, led a, a Trump, uh, anti-Trump mo- movement on campus, went through this whole entire thing, and then got onto a PragerU thread that a friend sent her and sort of like went down that rabbit hole positively. And then she then recounts in front of the audience, now I'm a Christian, I love my parents, I've reconciled, you know, it just went on and on. And, you know, even talking about it still, you know, fills yeah. me with emotion because that's that's ultimately what we're we're hoping for is yeah. is for people to be able to receive truth and and open their eyes and then reconcile in all those ways. An awakening. That was Tiana yeah. from Hawaii. Yeah. Yes. That was Tiana yeah. from Hawaii. Yeah, that was back in Santa Barbara. I remember that event. Yeah. Yeah, it was just amazing. Well, we'll uh, with our time remaining, uh, would you do a couple things for me? One, would you tell everybody about the book? You alluded to it. But, uh, you know, we brought it so folks could see it and just share with folks about it. Talk about what you're doing, how they can watch what you're doing. I just I want this last portion of time just to be folks connecting with Will Witt. I I want people to to be connected with somebody who we appreciate and adore. And I'm so grateful for you. So talk it up, man. Well, I hope you know that I'm grateful for you, Rob. Everything you have done for me and coming on the show and speaking to the church and with the books and everything, truly, you've been a really, really great friend. So you mean you mean the world to me. And same with you, Bryce. You are amazing, too. Um, but you guys can follow me anywhere on PragerU. You can go to PragerU.com to watch any of my videos or any of the other great content that we have on PragerU. You can follow me on social media at The Will Wit. Uh, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But the book that you're, that you're seeing, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, I wrote that book as a guide. I want people to have good conversations. It's not just stuff that I'm pulling out of my butt of saying, hey, here's how you can talk to people. <laughs> it's, it's stuff that I actually did. Every single... In, in that book, every single question and idea and tactic that I list in that book in all the 17 different chapters on different cultural, political topics, I have done and have successfully changed It's not, it's not changed theory. It's minds. not theory. This is legitimate, already proven. 
Right, exactly. And yeah. so I'm not saying that everyone, you can just read my book and go out there and start changing everyone's mind. I mean, to humble myself, I was very bad at it when I first started and it took a lot of practice, but you continue to practice. That's what it's about. It's about practice. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to, 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 to hate these people on the other side like that. It's just some normal okay. college kid. It's easy for me to go out and hate them or try and humiliate them. But it's so much more rewarding to be able to use persuasion and humor and logic and actual facts with questions to be able to change people's minds. I can tell you that just for me, being able to do that has been a, a real reward. And so that's what that book was about. And, and now I'm work, starting to work on my next book, which I'm very, very excited about. It's going to be a little bit of a deeper dive into some bigger political topics uh, than, than this one was. But I, I really think you guys are going to enjoy it when it comes out. Well, when it uh, does, we, we want to get you on the program. Yeah, and, and we'd love to have you on the program uh, after your uh, tour of Europe that you're, uh, you know, embarking on again. Because, uh, you know, that, that I think people need to, to see what's happening elsewhere and, you know, hear some of those firsthand accounts. Yeah. yeah uh, all right. Uh, CPAC Europe. CPAC Europe oh. is happening at the end of March. So I'll be going back to Hungary, back to Budapest to speak there. That's really uh, cool. wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Will. Uh, let, let's let's help out Ava. Uh, how do folks see what she's doing? Because she's she's a pretty big name, isn't she? Doesn't she have she is. uh, quite a following? She does. Yeah, she's been on Tucker Carlson twice. Did absolutely fantastic. She uh, is essentially she's a legal philosopher and a lawyer. And in the Netherlands, she was suing the Netherlands for their lockdowns and other measures that they've put into place. It is because she won't admit this. She's far too modest. But I'll say it for her. Because of people like her and everything that she has done, the Netherlands dropped their restrictions. In the country, yeah. wow. so it, and it's because of her, right? Is she has just done amazing work. We need more people like that in America, uh, but sadly, people aren't made like Ava. Just really her. Well, so, well, but anyway, uh, but we should have her I'm on. Flattering her. Yeah, we'll get you should yeah. have her on. She's great. She's fantastic. We would you love should it. have her on. Yeah, that'd well, be we'll, great. We'll, we'll do it when it's uh, Mr. And Mrs. Wit. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully sooner rather than later. But right. uh, anyone can follow her at uh, Ava Vlar. That's E-V-A and then V-L-A-A-R on Instagram, Twitter, anything like that. All right. Well, let's do this. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, thank you for Will. Thank you for his tenderness, uh, his sincerity, just the way in which you've wired him to love people, but to stand boldly for truth and not compromise. And I just pray your protection, covering, and blessing upon him. And just order his steps that they would be fruitful as he contends for liberty and freedom in this nation and throughout the world. And bless Ava, too. And we just thank you, God, for all the work at PragerU and that organization, for Dennis and all the folks that make it possible. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Will. You bless us as always. And uh, if you ever need anything, if I got it, you need it, I'll give it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right, buddy. All and right. and we'll, uh, we'll we'll promote the book, the next one when it comes out. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. break the record in selling them. All right. Oh, God oh, bless you, brother. Over? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Hey, Rob, give me a call sometime when you when you get a chance. I'd love to catch yeah. up and, and talk to you. So especially right. uh, about, you know, future tour and everything like that. Yeah, whatever you need. Wonderful. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. And thanks, Bryce. Right, buddy. I appreciate it, man. It's good to see you both, always. All right. Take care. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. That's a good man. I like Will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll do it.
Well, tremendous guest with Will Witt. It was a wonderful time. Folks, thanks for joining us on Liberty Station. Uh, join us next time. I'm not sure who the guest is, but I'll, I guarantee you it's worth tuning in for because we want to bring the best guests. And you know what? You make that possible, Bryce. You are you are fervent and diligent in finding remarkable people to come on the program. Thank you for that. You are welcome, and I'm blessed to be able to do it, and it's a, it's a blast. But let's just keep them secret until so people have to tune in because, you know, sometimes you're going to get some, you know, Victor Davis Hanson and Will Witt, and then, you know, other times you'll get somebody obscure but is remarkable. Hey, listen, I love interesting people, yeah. and, uh, and we're going to have a, a good heaping of both. Yeah. Well, so you joined us for Will Witt. We're grateful for that. Stay tuned for our next program with our mystery guest. Uh, I don't even know who it is yet, but it'll be worth tuning in for. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. Good night, everybody. Amen.